back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Help bell boy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you, Meryl McNally? I'm excellent. How are you, Zach? I'm good. It's been a little while, but not quite as long as it sometimes is. I know, right? <laughs> I think it has not been as long yeah. as it was between our last two, so we're, we're doing... We're doing well. We're doing, yeah, we're doing just fine. Uh, well, I'm excited about this episode. We're we're going to kind of do things a little bit out of order. We're actually going to talk about Mary Poppins Returns and Oscar stuff. And normally we would have done the Oscar stuff first, but we decided to flip the order. So uh, we're going to talk about Mary Poppins first. But before we even get to that, what have you been up to lately? What have you been seeing? What have you been doing? Well, I'm still... I'm still in graduate school for my MFA in theater management and producing, so it's been, it's been all theater. It's a little crazy because I, you know, I normally just keep up with film and TV so avidly, and I have not been able to, so uh, I'm really excited to talk Oscar stuff with you because I have seen only a handful of the films. Um, I just saw Waitress Invisible with Sarah Borales. Nice. And Gavin Creel, yeah, on Thursday night, and it was lovely and joyful. She's amazing. She's she's just so talented. It's kind of ridiculous. What else have you yeah, seen that's sure. been particularly good? Had I seen King Kong when we talked last? Yes, yes, we definitely had. We were, we were talking about that in the last episode. You made me yeah, want to see yeah, it. That's yeah, I mean, it's worth seeing just for the technical feat. It's pretty impressive. What else have I seen? It's so crazy because I've been producing, so I, have, I haven't I have been able to see a lot uh-huh. um, in November and December and this month. Waitress was the first thing I've seen. I've, I've got tickets to see. There was a musical that came out in the 90s. I think it played for like three, three years on Broadway. It did pretty well. I love it. It's called The Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh, sure. It's obviously based off the book, yeah. and uh, uh, they're doing a concert version at Lincoln Center uh, at the end of this month that I'm going to. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, nice! That'll be that'll be really cool. Yeah, and then uh, um, Terrell Alvin McCraney has a play on Broadway right now called Choir Boys that looks so phenomenal. So I have got tickets to go see that as well. Nice. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Are you gonna Are um, you gonna go see uh, True West? With Ethan Hawke and yeah. Paul Dano? You know what? It's it's on the list. Uh, I, I, it's just, it gets so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a roundabout show, and um, I don't really have access to affordable tickets to roundabout, so I am working. I think I might, I think I might get a subscription just to sort of spread the cost out so I can go. I would really like to see it. I have several friends who went to see it, but it was really wonderful. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, that that would be one that I would uh, be trying to see. I think if I were out there, I don't really remember what else is playing. Somebody, some... there's a lot about to open. Right. So burn this with um, Carrie Russell and Adam Driver is about to open. Kiss Me Kate with Kelly O'Hara. What else? All my sons with Annette Bening and Tracy Led. Oh yeah. 
That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, that's going to be incredible. There's, um, Taylor Mack has a show that's going up with Nathan Lane and Andrea Martin. Um, oh, nice. Uh, oh, it's a play off of Titus Andronicus. Nice. Um, yeah, and it looks amazing. So there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot opening. Nice. Yeah, what's going on with you? What have you seen? Besides every movie nominated for Oscars. Yeah, I've, I've managed to see, I... I have been making the mistake of of saying all of the films in the in the kind of big six, but I I forgot actually that Powell Powellikowski was nominated for best director for a movie called Cold War, and I have not seen that one. That's the only one that I haven't seen. That was kind of a surprise nomination, but um, I've seen everything else. I've been like really really working hard, um, you know, going to the movies to see everything, and I and I ended up seeing a a few movies that I thought might be nominated for something and weren't, you know, I saw The Mule, I saw Ben is Back, I saw Boy Erased, I saw a couple other movies that I thought stood a chance of being oh, nominated Boy for Erased something. Oh, Boy Erased looks so good. Is it good? It's, it is good, and it's, it's hard to take that. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that when, when we get to the Oscar okay. part, because I think one of the major snubs from my perspective is Nicole Kidman did not get a nomination for um, supporting actress. And I, it's a, it's a crowded category. So it's not, you know, absolutely insane that she wasn't nominated, but I really think she was the heart and soul of that movie. Um, You know, I, I would fully be voting for Regina King, who I think is going to win, but Nicole Kidman would have easily been second place to me. And she didn't even end up getting a nomination, um, which is too too bad she just really is fantastic in that movie um it it is a good movie there's a lot of a lot of good things it it was one of the first times i remember like russell crowe being really good in something recently you know and that's i don't mean that as like a huge knock on him i just think like he hasn't been given anything or maybe sought out anything that i've seen anyway that like required him to actually act you know he was in The Mummy yeah, was no. like the last thing that I saw him in that Tom Cruise Mummy movie. I don't know what else he's been doing, but he hasn't really been like acting. He hasn't been doing a lot. <laughs> yeah. No. So it was good pretty to see low him. Key. Yeah, it was good to see him in something and be like, oh yeah, Russell Crowe. He's pretty good, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I just saw a whole bunch of stuff. And then like I took my nephew to see that Bumblebee movie. He really wanted to see that oh, movie. Yes. Little things like that. Um, did you see that movie? I did see Bumblebee. Nice. I promised my nephews I would take them. Nice. And so I went. And you know what? I I I won't lie. I read a book through most of it. <laughs> nice. But what I did see, like, I was surprised how I was actually surprised how story oriented it was. Sure. Much more so than uh, previous Transformer iteration. Yeah. And so I thought it was one of the better Transformer movies. I thought it was quite cute. Yeah. I think that the lead, uh, Haley Steinfeld, is that how you say yeah. her name? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, she's been, since she was a kid in the True Grit movie, but I think she really is, mm-hmm. you know, she's really quite good. She's, she's, she's talented. She's developed into like a legitimate, you know, actress. I could see her kind of going the Jodie Foster route instead of the, you know, some other child star route. It seems like she's doing some good stuff. Yeah, she's doing some music too, I think. She was sort of taking the pack star route for a while. Mm-hmm. 
And then, you know what else I noticed um, about the Bumblebee movie, which really excited me, was that it was penned by Christina Hodgson. I was so excited in Transformer movie, penned by a a female writer. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. Maybe that's why... Maybe that's why a young female protagonist who actually has some in, something interesting to do in the movie, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It works. Um, yeah. So I've been, I've been seeing that. The other thing I wanted to quickly mention, because I think we, we, you and I were just talking before we started, um, that I went to California to see this um, Joni Mitchell birthday tribute, which was great. There were a lot of, um, you know, wonderful James Taylor, Graham Nash. There were a lot of really great performers there, so you know, cool. who sang who sang her songs. But um, there was this whole committee of of mostly movie stars um, who were putting together this kind of very fancy what they were calling a soiree, and uh, one of them was our own Meryl Streep, and um, so it was kind of the meeting of the two you know, biggest influences for me. Guys, I always kind of yeah. assumed that Meryl Streep would probably be a Joni Mitchell fan, but um, this was confirmation of it. And so I'm, I'm holding the, I'm holding the program. And so there were all these kind of, you know, tributes from Susan Sarandon. Who else is in here? Um, Rosanna Arquette, Angelica Houston, Warren Beatty, and Annette Bening. Um, but I wanted to read this little thing that Meryl Streep wrote um, in the program. It said, It's difficult to separate out the influence Joni Mitchell had on my life as a woman, so entwined is her voice in my most personal history, the most intimate moments of it. How her music defined the very feeling of being alive for me for all these many years. I have often thought, I wish I could thank her, but there isn't a big enough word for the real gratitude I feel. Hers is a necessary artistry. I wish I could thank her mother and father for bringing this incomparable artist into being 75 years ago. What a good idea that was. I love that idea that she thanked Joni Mitchell's parents. That's amazing. So, what an amazing tribute. Can you imagine if somebody wrote that about you? Oh, I know. I know. Like what? How did I always feel? Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's amazing. She's yeah. had so much input. So, you know, um, Meryl Streep was not there, but a lot of, uh, you know, it was kind of a crazily star-studded event. There were, it was so star-studded that there were, like, people that I didn't even realize were there until I read, a, a, you know, a newspaper article. And, you know, all I, we didn't cross paths with Jake Gyllenhaal and Mandy Moore, but they were apparently there. But we saw Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson and, um, I don't know, the list just kind of went on and on. I was just telling you, I walked two steps away from An- Angela Bassett and kind of turned around and thought, is that Angela Bassett? And it, I thought, no way is Angela Bassett here. But then, yes, she was. Um, George Takai. Yeah, yeah, George Takai was right there. Um, oh, that's so great. Lily Tomlin, Angelica Houston. There were all sorts of just kind of amazing people there. So it was kind of, I don't know, it was just kind of cool to be around all of them. That great energy there. It was. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I don't know how much you know about Joni Mitchell, but she had a she had a brain aneurysm a couple of years ago, so she's been kind of yeah. reclusive in the last couple of years. You know, right. she's she's just recently started making public appearances again, but she came, which was pretty. Everybody so cool. assumed that she would come, but it was not a for sure thing, and it would be very Joni Mitchell esque to not show up to a tribute to her. That is totally something that she would do, but she did show up. And um, so it was kind of amazing because, you know, we got to, well, we got to be in the same room as our hero and, you know, like give her a really long round of applause. And 
um, that made the whole thing for sure worth it. But, you know, I mean, like it was just a, a giant love fest, which actually they're they're showing the movie of it in in movie theaters on February 7th. It's a one night only thing, but they're showing it in a lot of movie theaters. So if um, oh my gosh, you need to go see it. I'm sure they'll show it here. Yeah, and then I think they're putting it out. You know, they're they're for sure putting out a CD, and I think they're going to put out a DVD of it too. But I think they're showing it one night in the movie theaters. So nice. Yeah. So that was kind of the most exciting thing over the last couple of months. And then I went on tour for for all of December. I I did thirty shows in the month of December, so it was um, a busy month. And January is kind of slow down time and kind of get back into it and see a lot of Oscar movies. And uh, all right. Shall we dive into Mary Poppins Returns? Let's do it. All right. Um, I'm going to let you start. How did you feel about Mary Poppins Returns? Oh, I loved it so much. Did you really? (laughs) I did. Okay, so I am a massive Mary Poppins fan. I grew up on it. I was obsessed with it. I watched it over and over and over again. When I heard about the sequel, (laughs) I was cautiously optimistic just because of the casting and Rob Marshall as director but Hollywood doesn't have a great track record with successfully making movie musicals so um, I went into it with not high expectations but hopeful but I thought what it did so well was it captured it captured the spirit of the original movie and walked that really fine line of giving avid fans enough, enough similarity, enough mirroring, enough of the world, that old world, but then really allowed it to sort of spread its wings on its own. Sure. Because Emily Blunt is a very different Mary Poppins. Yes, she but is. She did an amazing job of capturing her really spirit and then also putting her own twist on it. Uh-huh. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is just really lovable. And I thought he was super charming. I thought I thought this I thought the set and the special effects were pretty astounding. Yeah, I did too. Some of the stuff they did. So I just thought it was really joyful and lovely. My entire family went. We went in the family unit and it was so funny to sit next to my mom during it because um she cried and we got out of there and she said I remember sitting in the movie theater with my parents and my siblings watching the original and now I'm here in the movie theater watching this all with my entire family nice. it was really moving for her yeah it was great yeah 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 so that's my two cents what did you think um I liked it I liked it as much as um I think I was likely to like it. Um, right, because you weren't a big Mary Poppins fan, right? Right, and to tell you the truth, I wish, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I liked Mary Poppins as a kid. I don't mean that I didn't yeah. like it in any way. I just mean I haven't seen it in probably 20 years. And um, I really wish I had gone back and revisited it because I think um, I think it would have been helpful. I think that's probably a pretty obvious thing to say. Uh, I liked it as oh, much yeah. as I, I thought that I would. I, it, I I agree with a lot of what you said. I think there were a lot of um, callbacks that, you know, even somebody who hasn't seen it in 20 years 
could get, you know, the the guy with the with the cannons, which is actually kind yeah. of a big part of the movie. But as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh yeah, I totally remember that. That's a, that's amazing. Um, yeah. But you know, it, uh, to me, it wasn't a perfect movie by any stretch and there were a couple things that I kind of struggled with so I guess I would love your input as somebody who who liked Mary Poppins more than I did on these on these like minor issues again I don't it feels like this is one of those times that it feels like really picky to like tear apart this thing that's just kind of like it's nice counter programming to like everything else that you know a lot of Marvel movies and whatever else is out at Christmas time you know there's nothing wrong with Mary Poppins Returns Um, to me I kind of struggled with the idea that Mary Poppins almost felt like a secondary character in her own movie to me like it felt like Lin-Manuel Miranda's story and not Mary Poppins story to me did you get any of that? fascinating no, but I wasn't really thinking about it either. I mean, I think I went in so focused on Emily Blunt that no, I didn't. I didn't really get that. But expand on it. Well, I mean, I saw it once at Christmas time, so I'm curious. Right, there were just some times where I was like, okay, I feel like I've heard. Lin Manuel Miranda sang like three or four or five songs. I felt like That's she only true. sang like two. And I just noticed that there were a, there were a bunch of scenes. Well, I, I shouldn't say a bunch, but I noticed it. And this is not something that um, I took lightly. There were scenes where there was like, where it was the two of them and the kids. And I noticed that Mary Poppins was walking behind everybody else. And I thought, I wonder what the choice there was about. I wonder if it, that was a, like, she's protecting, you know, that kind of thing. Or if it was a... I don't know. It really just felt like she was kind of behind everybody the whole time. It, it didn't really seem like she was the focus to me. Yeah. I want to I rewatch it now for that because, um, well, the first movie sort of has a similar framework, I think less obvious, where, where Bert kind of <clears throat> introduces the world Right, he's got his all his like musical gear on and performing in the park, and he really he's there with Mary Poppins. Like he sort of calls Mary Poppins in, even though that's not quite how it goes. But there's sort of this like he's the he's the sort of the all knowing. He's watching everything happen, so it has that same framework. I think it's more pronounced in the second film with Lin Manuel Miranda, probably coming off of his popularity with Hamilton. Really. Yeah. Utilizing him? Yes. Um, I have more to say on that, but continue. Yeah. Um, her walking behind, though, I didn't notice. But that's interesting that you say that, because I'm trying to remember if in the first movie, I think Mary Poppins leads the way. One of our, one of our, um, one of our listeners has to know Mary Poppins, the original, so well that they know. Yeah. Email us. Have to ask for their input. Yeah, email, email us. us. Meryl Podcast at gmail.com. I probably will watch, of course, now that I should have done this before we did this episode, but I'm curious enough that I will probably rewatch the original Mary Poppins, um, which I've been meaning to do anyway. Um, okay, so can we talk about something else that you just said with the yeah. idea of utilizing Lin-Manuel Miranda? So I'm going to be the first to say, I think everybody acknowledges that he's 
you know, a pretty incredible talent. And I'm not arguing that. I agree with that. I think yeah. he is a pretty great talent. I'm also somebody who has never seen or even listened to Hamilton. So I'm not like the top of oh, Lin-Manuel. I'm not in his like fan club yeah. necessarily, you know. Right. But from the clips that I have seen of Hamilton, which again, I, I wouldn't say I've even listened to an entire song. It's just you can't really escape hearing some of it every once in a while. And uh-huh. um, it seemed to me that there were two numbers in this that were kind of like almost Hamilton ripoffs to me that I was yeah. like, okay, you're just trying to make this like Hamilton. Yeah. This is a Hamilton song in a Mary Poppins movie. And I don't know about that. To me, there was something about that that I didn't love, mostly because what as were the two? well, w- there was one. I definitely know the one where he raps. Yes. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. And then maybe maybe it was just the one. I felt like there were two. I don't remember well enough either. The one and actually what I will also say about that is it also was um one of the more impressive dance numbers. There was the one where there were all the lamplighters and they were um they were doing so, yeah. I, I I really loved the dancing in that scene. But as somebody who makes his living as a musician, there is something so obnoxious to me about pieces of music that consistently for like multiple minutes go bu 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 da bu 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 da bu 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 da 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 boom bu bu da oh yeah almost like a drum line yeah where it's like two two pitches and you just go back and forth on those two pitches for yeah. multiple minutes it drove me nuts and again it just see it it struck me like okay this is I get it. They're updating Mary Poppins, but this is a totally different kind of Mary Poppins. And it's, I don't know. For me, it didn't work. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. So I don't know. That, I guess, was my only other thing. Maybe it was only one song. I felt like it was two. I did like the song that he started the movie with, which I think kind of came back at the end. I thought that was nice. But, um, Lovely, yeah. Yeah, I just, I wasn't sold on him. <laughs> I don't know. I think in large part, so much of what people love about Lin-Manuel Miranda is um, what they know about Lin-Manuel Miranda. Sure. Because, uh, like, just, he has, whether he's crafted an image or just sort of let people in the doors, sort of personality and life, um, you know, from an outsider's perspective, from from a fan's perspective, he is incredibly warm and humble and giving and welcoming. Right. I think that's part of his charm. So, I also, and I say this with like complete like adoration. I love that his British accent is as bad as as uh, Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And I don't think it was intentional. Right, right. <laughs> but it was just, and it was, it was a throwback in the most nostalgic, like, accidental way, right? Right. There's just something so warm and inviting about him. And I think um, if you do know Hamilton, I, and I, I would not say that I am the most avid fan, that I know every word. I know most of the words. I've listened to it hundreds of times. Sure. Every time you listen, you find something new. Uh, the detail in it. Like, I don't think it's throwing words around to call him a genius. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think there's just uh, an effort to want to showcase that. And I think that's what happened in Mary Poppins with that portion of the song. I will tell you that that song where they perform at the musical, 
and it's the cover is not a book it's the song um my nephews and my niece are obsessed they listen to that song on repeat they love the soundtrack but it's that song they love the taste the rhyme the rhyme scheme and they try to learn all the words they are obsessed right Right. It's crazy. But I would agree with you. So the lamplighter number was the most direct callback to the first movie in the chimney sweep. Yeah. And it was lovely. With Step in Time. Yeah. It was great. And it was really, yeah, it was really wonderfully visually. Yep. But I agree with you musically. They were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because how do you throw back to a number like Step in Time and not be a knockoff? Right but also live up to it. Right. Well, and I think, not to interrupt, um, because I think um, I think if they hadn't played to Lin-Manuel Miranda's strengths, as we've been saying, I think there would have been pushback in that regard, too. You know what I mean? Like, I think, yeah. I, I think it's, I don't blame them for making the choice that they made. It's just, for me personally, wasn't the greatest choice. I also agree with you that I thought his performance in the movie was great i thought he was great in the movie i it, it yeah, I, my horrible. my problem was not with him it was just i felt like the story was maybe a little too much on his character actually not even that it's i wanted more mary poppins it wasn't yeah. too much of him it was too little of her for me and you know what i would agree yeah and yeah and just that one song that's kind of all. That's really my only issue there. And actually, can I say one other thing about the Mary Poppins yeah. thing? Because I'm curious, as somebody who knows the original film as well as you do. Uh, okay, so I feel like Emily Blunt is amazing. I think she's incredible. I think she was great in this movie. I think she's one of the like talents of our generation that's really going to be, mm-hmm. you know, long lasting. This it was such a no nonsense portrayal i guess i don't remember mary poppins it felt like there wasn't as much fun with mary poppins there was not yeah what was that about is that more authentic to the books or what is that yes so the books um i have i have not read the books but it's my understanding that the books uh, mary poppins is much more severe and that the writer and um um, and the Sherman Brothers in Disney had had a lot of battles about that because they were much more catering to family and kids when they were writing the original movie. And so um, I think, too, and this is inadvertent, Julie Andrews' soprano voice adds quite a lot of buoyancy and light to anything she's singing. Right. It's really lovely. Um, Emily Blunt's not a soprano. Right. And I felt almost immediately that the music was like perhaps a step or two too low. And I don't know, uh, I don't know if that was a range thing, but it lacked that buoyancy. Not that, not that Emily needed to try and be a soprano. I don't think that at all. It sounded beautiful. It's just the music had some weight to it because of the key it was in. And so it lacked that sort of lightness. Interesting. That the original has. So I think that impacted it. Um, because I, because I was sort of watching that in her performance. It has the mischievousness that Julie Andrews had. And, um, 
But I think also, now that you have said it, I think a part of the reason why it feels more no-nonsense and less sort of fun and joyful is that there's less Emily Blunt. Yeah. She had less opportunity. Right. Right. To be showcased. So I think it was a combination of those things. Yeah. But also the books. Okay. I think they went more toward the books. That, that to me was kind of a... Yeah, I kind of wondered about that throughout the whole thing. I was like, well, you know, Mary Poppins is almost a buzzkill in this one. You know, like it just kind of is a, not in a a huge way, but it just kind of, I felt like the kids couldn't get away with anything in this one. And I don't, I I don't remember that being really the way. (laughs) I have to tell you my major issue with it. Okay. Because I didn't think it was flawless. So when when you're writing a screenplay or a script, and you're creating dramatic space, they have to be pretty high to compel an audience to want to watch, right? Yeah. Well, I struggled a little bit with the fact that their house, they were on the verge of losing their house simply because Michael forgot to pay the mortgage. Like, it wasn't, oh, they don't have the money, how are they going to get by? It was a, oops, I forgot to make that payment yesterday. Right. And we generated this entire, like, serious, dramatic story around this man just, oops, forgetting to pay his mortgage. Yeah. And I had trouble with that. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't quite buy into it because his wife had passed away and he was, they were sad. But you didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't feel the necessity for Mary Poppins to show up. It was contrived. Yeah. And once she did show up, you didn't really get a sense that she was truly needed. And that was what was in the first movie. Right. Is their family was a mess, and they really needed her help to pull them back together as a family unit and see what was important. And that was, you know, they already loved each other in this movie. Like, there wasn't that same sense of disjointedness. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. In in some ways, like Mary Poppins arrival didn't really change the outcome very much at all. (laughs) Like, no, what what she contributed in the like central story of the house was almost nothing. Right. Right. And so now that you say that, like that makes so much sense. It all sort of ties together. Yeah. It is a thin script, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like in a movie like this, that's almost not a huge problem. I don't know, like, you know, a a kid probably wouldn't notice something like that. It's just, uh, I don't know. As long as you make everything look wonderful and there are fun performances, it's, and some great musical numbers, they could have been doing anything, you know, but yeah, Yeah. it was kind of a, it was kind of a sadder storyline overall, you know, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Let's let's talk about Meryl's scene. What did you think of yes. Meryl Streep's move, scene in this movie? Oh, she only had one. Kooky. Yeah. Kooky as hell. Um, I thought she was hilarious. Yeah, she was great. Yeah. I thought I thought her costuming was interesting. Uh, because, and, and this is going to seem so strange, but, you know, neon colors is not really something I imagine in the Mary Poppins world, mainly because of the time period it's set. But it made me realize it made me realize how much film has shaped my idea of how time periods look and what color palettes are used. Because 
like her her neon costume and um, just sort of the neon colors going on in her little shop seemed mm. out of place for me. Yeah, a little bit. And that, you know, the bright red hair seemed a choice that probably would not have been made back then as well. Um, right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But, I mean, she's great, per usual. She seemed like she was having a lot of fun. Yeah, she did. She got a nice little musical number. She got to talk in an accent. What else could you ask for for Meryl Streep? I know, right? <laughs> Hit all the it's Meryl so Streep benchmarks. Yeah. She had... Yeah. I feel like she just had one of the more um, kind of vivid sequences in the whole movie. You know, it's, again, the, like, laughing on the ceiling portion. I forget yes. what that was called. Uh, I love to laugh. I love to laugh. Yeah, that's kind of that sequence in this one. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, she got a great song, and she got to have some fun. It probably took her a couple days of filming, and, you know, <laughs> was... Yeah. Reunited with Rob Marshall I, and Emily Blunt and Colin Firth, and although he wasn't in her scene, but um, what did she do? What did she do with Rob Marshall? He directed Into the Woods, didn't he? Did he? I oh thought God! So. Excuse me, everybody. <laughs> I think you're right. Let me. I'm going to look it up. Yes, he did. Okay. Yes, he's right. he did Chicago Memoirs of a Geisha Nine. Um, oh, I didn't know he had done Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Um, oh, did he really? Yeah, apparently. Crazy. Into the Woods and then Mary Poppins Returns. He's also announced he's doing uh, The Little Mermaid. That, I guess, is coming up. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's also, as long as we're on this subject, um, it, this yeah. this movie has done very well. It, it grossed over $325 million worldwide. Um, yeah. And has done well. So they've already confirmed that there is a potential third Mary Poppins movie coming with Emily Blunt. Um, and, you know, he, he Rob Marshall stated that uh, P.L. Travers wrote eight books, so there's no reason they couldn't keep going. Um, you know, yeah. As long as there's an audience. How do you feel about that? Do you like the idea of there being more? I do. So here's what I feel like they did successfully. They were able to lay the groundwork to open up the possibilities to differences. I, I think it was very necessary with the intense fandom that the first Mary Poppins had to create a really solid throwback that was successful at the box office, but planted the seeds for a new sort of different version of Mary Poppins so that it could move forward. That is such a tricky balance. And I and I love the way that they were able to do it. I think for the most part they were successful. There was no way it was going to be perfect because right. it's not the original. And um, there was no way it was going to be perfect because they had to pay tribute to the original. That's challenging. It just ties me down. And I think they've opened up the door well enough. Emily Blunt was so wonderful yep. to really sort of go in a new direction. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, hopefully a little bit more kind of lighthearted. I guess maybe. I yeah. don't know. That's what I would prefer, I guess. But I'm not really the um, I'm not really the uh, source of Mary Poppins information, I guess. Um, I do like the idea of there being more because I think now... The way this one was done, I feel like it was really well directed, and I felt like the choices that they made, it felt updated, you know, like you said earlier, the special mm -hmm. effects were great, but it also didn't feel like 
a completely CGI movie. It felt like it kept the kind of spirit of the original. Yeah. And, you know, some of the sequences that were so amazing in the first one, you know, like the animation sequences where, yeah. you know, they're interacting with cartoon penguins or whatever, you know, that that is intact in this movie. And I think that's important. It doesn't And they feel, did it well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the bathtub underwater sequence was kind of magical. Um, yeah. You know, so there's there's a lot there that as long as they kind of stay respectful of the previous influences, mm-hmm. I, I think they should keep going as long as Emily Blunt is interested. I can't imagine really anybody else doing this besides no. Emily Blunt. I would, that would be maybe where I would draw the line. Um, but... Yeah, I don't see any reason why why it couldn't work. How did you feel about all the all the other cameos? The Dick Van Dyke, Angela Lansbury. I guess those were kind of the two big other ones because Colin Firth actually had like a legit role in this movie. He that did. wasn't a cameo. That was a big role. Angela Lansbury is a goddess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love her. Her song was just so friggin' wonderful. Yeah, and I love her. Um, I. It was so trippy to see Dick Van Dyke play the same character he played in the original. I still keep that same. Yeah. Because they, I mean, they had aged him up, obviously, to play the old banker in the first movie. It was, it was like, it was just scary identical. Right. <laughs> I mean, with so many years having passed, it's like, wow. Also, uh, his tap dancing skills. At, how old is he? Yeah, like 94 or something, isn't he? He's, he's yeah, getting like, up there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he got up on that desk and I was like, oh my God, don't die. Right. <laughs> well, and actually, not to take this to a dark place, but somebody, uh, a, yeah. a, friend, a friend of mine on Facebook put up something about Mary Poppins and, you know, on Facebook. And so I responded and just said some of the things that I've just said here today. And yeah. um, somebody else wrote in and said something about... Dick Van Dyke and Angela Lansbury and said that they found it odd and from the sounds of it they didn't feel like it was a great choice um, that you know they got these really iconic Disney stars from you know back in the day and really like their roles were relegated to basically after the major plot point had already wrapped up which is true they were kind of like both within the last 10 minutes or so and my only thought was, you know, I thought that was a great point. I had not thought of that. I didn't think it necessarily disrespectful to them or the story so much. But I didn't, I, there was a part of me that was wondering, you know, maybe they, the studio was viewing it as, you know, what if one or both of them can't really hack it anymore? You know, like they didn't want to kind of put themselves, they didn't want to paint themselves into a corner by making them a big part of the movie, maybe. Um, just on the off chance that they didn't really have it anymore. And I, I think we can all agree that they both indeed still do have it. They're both great. Yeah, the they do. But maybe there's something to the less is more kind of philosophy there, too, where, you know, yeah, they're or used... like opening up the door for sort of new people to take it on. Yeah. Um, but I will take that a step further. The original Jane uh, from the first movie is in this Mary Poppins as well. Is she? Who and, is she? Yeah. And she uh, <laughs> is the woman walking a dog in the neighbor on the neighborhood street, like towards the top of this movie. Oh, interesting. And I found that out, and I was like, really? 
that's what you gave her to do? Right. She's walking a dog? She's the original Jane. Right. And I found, like, I was a little insulted for her. Granted, she has not done any film work. I think Mary Poppins was her last. She had done Thomasina. And she did, like, the no mobile. She did several movies when she was a kid, but I think she quit acting. Sure. And so she hasn't done any films, so I get that. Like, you're not going to give her a major role. But I just felt like, you know, a woman walking the dog goes largely unnoticed. Right. Oh, absolutely. And it seems like a disservice. Yeah. Like, that's not proper tribute. Yeah, that's more of like what Hitchcock would have done. You know, he always loved to put himself in the little cameo. But, yeah, right. that, that is kind of a strange choice. Now, uh, along those same lines, as has been very well reported, they tried to get Julie Andrews to do a cameo as well. And she yeah. declined, saying she wanted it to be Emily Blunt's show, which is pretty respectful and, and very thoughtful. So lovely. Uh, do you agree with that choice? Would you have liked to see her make a cameo? I think because she was Mary Poppins, I don't know how you craft a cameo right. for Julie Andrews that right. doesn't detract from Emily Blunt. So I have a lot of respect for that choice. I think it was the accurate choice. With like Dick Van Dyke, he could step in as a character he actually played in the first movie. Um, but I, I, I think the interesting thing is, um, you know, maybe they wanted Colin Firth's name. But it, I think it would have been a really interesting movie if it was the same banker still causing problems. Yeah. Granted, in the in the um, in the first movie at the end, he actually floats to the ceiling laughing. Like you get the impression that that banker had had a turn of, you know, heart, a, a yeah. turn of turn of heart. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I get why they do them. Yeah, it would have been a huge part of like the marketing and that would have been everybody's, you know, thing going to see the movie was that would have been such a major moment, the Julie Andrews cameo. It would have been distracting and probably yeah. if they had done it, I agree with you. I don't know how they would have done it. I, I agree completely that like because she was Mary Poppins, it's almost I don't know how you would do that. But um yeah, I mean, they could put her in another character role, but that seems like a disservice to her and the movie because nobody will look at her as that other character. Right, and there wouldn't really be a great way to, like, age her or anything and have her be, like, the older Mary Poppins. That's kind of against everything Mary Poppins is. That's right. kind of the magic of Mary Poppins. Magical. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. Kind of interesting. <laughs> kind of interesting. Like yeah. I said, just very respectful choice. Um the, the Angela Lansbury thing, for me, was kind of interesting because, because I mean, she really is in the last, like, her scene is kind of the last in the movie. And um, yeah. I, I, was, I found myself waiting for the first, you know, hour and a half or however long it takes to get to Dick Van Dyke. I remember thinking, when is Dick Van Dyke going to get here? And I remember thinking the same thing about Angela Lansbury, but I had kind of forgotten about the Angela Lansbury cameo. And then there she was, which to me was a great kind of surprise. It wasn't a surprise because I knew she was in it, but I had forgotten that she was like going to reminder. be in it. Yeah, does that make sense? It was kind of nice that, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot she was going to be in this and there she is. And that was kind of lovely. And like you say, her song was, I think, particularly, it's uh, a lesser version of 
what Meryl Streep did in Mamma Mia 2, where, like, she just shows up for, like, five minutes at the end and almost yeah. steals the whole thing, you know? Like, really yeah. just kind of this great, great, well-executed five-minute sequence. But it really is a nice song and a nice, um, you know, moment. So, yeah. You know what else I was thinking about, too? And, and this is total assumption on my part, and I have no idea if it's accurate or not, but... Um, you know, with, with Julianne Joe's vocal cord surgery that she had several years ago, uh-huh. she's really no longer able to sing. Right. And um, she has gone on the record as saying how difficult that would be. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, I, I cannot imagine um, not being able to sing and have my voice work the way. And I'm and I don't do it professionally, <laughs> right? So like, and I I sort of wondered how much of that role was tied up in in really just phenomenal voice, and to be a part of the festival and really not be able to engage in that way, that it would be hard, right? It would be really challenging. Right. I think she is potentially doing a Princess Diaries three though. Is she? Interesting. Yeah, I, I heard rumors. I saw rumors about it. It kind of hit the trades that that was a possibility. I don't know how accurate that is. Nice. Well, hopefully she's having fun. Whatever she's doing, you know, she's one of the she great children's books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with her daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So Mary Poppins Returns has been nominated for four Academy Awards for uh, Best Original <laughs> Score, Best Original Song for The Place Where Lost Things Go. Uh, best yes. production design and best costume design. Uh, do you think it has much of a chance in any of those? Um, yes. I think, I think potentially in costume design for those costumes. I think the favorite the, may take that one, though. Yeah, no, you're right. When you look at the Oscar nominations, I should help say so. Context. I could see best production design just because of some of the sequences. I don't know. Maybe that's a Black Panther um, category. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Um, it was nominated for a few Golden Globes and didn't get anything. Although um, that was mostly on the actor actress side. It did best score. It was nominated for that and didn't win. Um, I think right. A Star Is Born is probably going to end up taking a lot of the music categories, but. Um. So I don't know. It has a. It has a. It has a shot. Possibly. Um. Let's see. It got nominated. What are the other songs nominated? Um. I have it right here. I just let me pull it up. Uh. I know they have. Uh. The one from A Star Is Born. All. Um. All the stars from Black Panther, which is I think Kendrick Lamar. Um. I'll fight from R B G, which is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary. Um, the place where lost things go from Mary Poppins returns shallow from a star is born. That's what's going to win. That's the lady Gaga. Okay. Um, and, uh, when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings from the ballad of Buster Scruggs, which I'm a giant fan of Jillian Welch and Dave Rawlings, who that is, um, that's their mm-hmm. song. So I, I would love to see that win, but it, this is going to go to a star is born. Almost for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I yeah, think, I, I, I can't see it walking away with anything. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so either. But I don't know. So would you recommend it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you because are you a fan of the first one? How big a fan are you? Right. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes, you're, sometimes there can be such fans that 
when somebody tries to revisit, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, like yeah. that's the last thing we want to see. And, you know, other times it's like so great to have a throwback. I think if you have kids in particular, it's worth it. Um, I found it really interesting. So my nephews are very into Transformers and Star Wars and um, the Lego movies. They build Legos like crazy. And all of those franchises are incredibly busy. Mm-hmm. There's just so much happening all the time, so much special effects. It's not incredibly story-driven. It's more world-driven. And there are definitely, there's definitely based on sort of simple, strong stories, but it's not the driving force behind them. Right. And we took, and my niece, who is four, she's just sort of exposed to all the Transformer stuff and all of that because she's with her brothers all the time. And she just kind of does her own thing. So we took the kids to go see Mary Poppins. And they were just engrossed. They were so invested in the story and and I think it really it's a sad story so they came out feeling very sad and you can tell it was just not something they were used to to be that invested in something that felt so real because it didn't have like the crazy explosions or the you know the characters weren't made of Legos and they're obsessed with it they keep going back to it and it just highlights the real importance of story. And I think it's true of the Bumblebee movie, too. I think it works better than the other Transformer movies because, in large part, it's more story-based. Yes, there are special effects, but it's the story that drives it. Right. And uh, I just really, really, really wish and beg filmmakers to take that into consideration as they continue to make films because we are losing the power of story. Right. Some Oscar Oscars. time? It is Oscar Yeah, we time. sort of naturally transitioned into it with, with Mary Poppins' nominations. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you what I've seen yes, because it's do. less than what I have not. Okay. I've obviously seen Black Panther, which is badass and amazing. I saw uh, Black Klansmen, loved uh-huh. it. Yep. And I've seen The Favorite also. Just adored it. Oh, interesting. It's like one of the Fantastic! I love the favorite. That's it. That's all I've seen. Okay. I'm in rough shape. Okay. Well, let's yeah. go, let's go through the kind of the big categories. Um, so okay. let's start with best picture. So the three that you just mentioned: Black Panther, Black yep. Klansman, and the favorite. Um, the other ones nominated. There were a total of eight nominated out of a possible ten. Um, so the other ones nominated were Bohemian Rhapsody, Green Book, Roma, and A, a Star Is Born, and Vice. So there were a couple potential snubs in this category, actually one of which was Mary Poppins Returns. There were a lot of people yeah. who thought that might get a nomination. Um, if Beale Street Could Talk was another kind of bigger um, snub. One that if some people thought might sneak in there it was the Can You Ever Forgive Me, the Melissa McCarthy um, one, but I think that was maybe just on the outside looking in. But um, right. I don't know, out of the ones that you've seen, what... What what do you suspect might win? What would you vote for if you were voting in this category based on what you've seen so far? Honestly, I would give it to Black Panther. Interesting. Okay. And um, I think, and this might be a little reactionary of me, 
lucky, but I think the Academy has been elitist for far too long. Yep. And while I personally loved The Favorite, it's not necessarily the most accessible film yeah. for, a, for broad audiences. And Black Panther, it was just such, it was brilliant storytelling, and every aspect of it was so, so strong. And I very much felt like when I was sitting in the movie theater that I would see something for the first time. Yeah. It had, it had such cultural and historical significance. And I don't think that that should go um, unnoticed. Like, I just feel like there needs to be, granted, not all the best picture Oscar winners um, have sort of held up over time. Right. Um, but I feel like this one will. Right. And so I would just hate for it to go unnoticed. I think it deserves that accolade. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest. You just kind of swayed me on that. I, (laughs) you did, you know, the thing is when I look at this crop, so I've seen, I've seen all eight of these and, um, I, again, seen other ones that I thought might, might potentially be in there. I don't, when I look at this year, I don't necessarily think it's like a, a bad year or anything like that, but I don't feel like it has the kind of, um, I don't know. There's something a little bit less than to me this year, uh, collectively. Yeah, it's almost a fluffier or uh, not fluffy. That's a terrible word. Um, it, um, lightweight. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Or, or rope. Maybe we've been there, done that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's it. And, you know, so I, I'll kind of, Black Panther I thought was great. Black Klansman is really, for me, was hard to watch, but I thought was really kind of mm-hmm. amazing. Bohemian Rhapsody was one that surprised me. Um, for for some reason, the trailer to that movie just didn't do it for me, and I was not particularly excited to see it. And I actually really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, if I'm being honest, the, the same concerns that a lot of people have about that movie have stuck out to me because after yeah. that movie, I wanted to, for the very first time ever, kind of research Queen and Freddie Mercury. I was just never hugely into them, but the movie made me go, oh, you know, this is, this is great. And finding how many inaccuracies there were in that movie just kind of made it not as strong Aww. you know there were so many choices that they made and they were choices i don't think they were trying to you know i mean they were trying to make an interesting kind of crowd pleasing movie and so they just changed so many things to make it more movie friendly but i think when you mm. do that with you know a verifiable list of 25 30 things it just kind of draws into question the whole movie it's it's entertaining but it's right. not accurate then so there's something and, about that that doesn't sit well with me personally <laughs> um the question is like why why do you feel the need to do that what about those choices make it a better make it a better story for film audiences than the truth right well and then there's so much with the brian singer stuff too that just yeah it's painted for me because of that right so, you know, I think it's such a great performance. Um, also, for, for Meryl Streep fans, here's a little nugget in there that I didn't, I kind of found myself wondering halfway through. Do you remember the little kid who is in the River Wild, who's also the little Timmy from Jurassic Park? You, that actor, yeah. Joseph Mazzello, I think is his name. Yeah. He plays one of the guys in Queen. He's in this movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, 
as an adult. So, um, yeah. So the, so Meryl's son from river wild is in this movie. Um, so, you know, he, uh, Rami Malek is really great in this movie. And there's a lot that, like I said, if you just kind of go and try to enjoy the movie, there are other things about that movie that I loved, you know, they, they showed the entire 25 or so minute sequence from live aid from when Queen performed this, you know, like very iconic s- set. They showed the entire 25 minutes worth of it, which was, Whoa. I know, when's the last time that happened in a major movie that they did the entire thing? I I don't know. To me, that was such a unique choice and kind of like a really yeah. awesome choice, actually. Um, so I liked that. Um, I'll try to be quicker with these other ones here. Um, the favorite, I didn't know what to make of the favorite. I liked the favorite, oh but holy God, sh- I loved it what so was much. That was so strange and so... What did you like about that movie? Oh, God. You know what? I think... I think to some degree it was unique to watch that as well. Um, Not in the same way, but in a similar vein as Black Panther. In that you rarely see... You rarely see a movie surrounding women. And being ambitious or manipulative and without like the context of how they relate to men right yeah that's true it was it was just these three i mean men were so ancillary they were so sort of useless in this story and olivia coleman blew my mind she was great so good and they all three were just wonderful and there was um there was just something so unapologetic about it, and it was just so strong. The costuming, the cinematography, the script, um, just the world he created was pretty fantastic. Um, I will also say that even if the movie had sucked, I would love it anyway because of the dance sequence. It brought so much joy to my life. <laughs> um, if I understand, Jorgen Plasma put an odd dance sequence in all of his movies. That was so strange and so. I loved it. Did you? Okay. Oh yeah. Um, the the thing I now that you say that it really that movie does pack it, it really does pass the Brechtel test, doesn't it? That whole movie does. Yes. Um, yes. But the, I almost have the same thing with Mary Poppins Returns. I agree. Olivia Coleman was incredible. I wanted more of her, and not so yeah. much. Not so much less of Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, who were both wonderful, but um, more Olivia Coleman. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I totally get that. So I don't know. Um, I I still I have to think about that movie. That was the most recent one that I saw, so I'm still kind of digesting that. I only saw that one like a week ago. I'm still figuring out how oh, I feel okay. about that movie. But um, um, continuing down the list, I'll be really brief with the rest of these. I don't want this to go on forever. I do have to tell you one more thing about the favorite. Okay. I went to go see it here in New York with a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and it was a really crowded theater. And uh, like within the first five minutes, I was laughing my ass. Like I was laughing my ass off in this theater, like guffawing. I found the movie that entertaining, and the audience—they were laughing too, but not like me. So <laughs> everyone was like, "Who is that weird chick over there?" Interesting. <laughs> Who thinks this is the funniest? Like something about it, like really, 
just like struck a chord with me. Interesting. So I was a very active audience member. I made a lot of New Yorkers feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> I saw um, I saw it in a pretty packed movie theater too, and there was very little little. I think actually there was a little bit of I that I live in St. Paul, Minnesota, and this movie had it. It's not for prudes. This movie it has some. Um, it has some, it pushes it a little bit every once in a while. Yeah. And uh, I think there was a little bit more audible shock than audible laughs. I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Green Book uh, is the next one. Green Book, I had the same things with um, Bohemian Rhapsody. There's some controversy over that, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. To me, Green Book is the movie this year. Again, I don't mean any knock on this movie. I thought it was fine. I thought the performances were fine it were, were good not fine they were great but you know it this to me it seems to me like if we could fast forward five years if green book somehow manages to pull out a win which is not expected but it's also not impossible it won at the golden globes i think or sag awards or something and yeah. um if it does i feel like we're going to be looking back at it the same way people look back at like crash now and go wait a second that movie won mm. it just seems right like not the right choice to make so i hope they don't there's nothing wrong with yeah. the movie it's interesting enough um but it just i don't know to me doesn't do it roma is beautiful i don't really know what to say about roma either um a star is born uh I'm so curious to know what you think of this. I haven't seen it. I I sort of delayed because I had a lot going on last semester and I just just couldn't watch a Hammer movie. Um, So I delayed. And I'm also, I'm going to say this out loud, and no no offense to Bradley Cooper, but I'm just, I'm not a massive fan. And I haven't seen his direct work I struggle with them a little bit. Okay. And so I've this, just sort of been hesitant. You and I are on exactly the same page here. Exactly the same page. Okay. Here, Here is how I feel about A Star is Born. I think Bradley Cooper did an incredible job directing this movie. I thought he was, yeah. he was a great director for this movie. And I think the biggest snub in the directing thing. He didn't get nominated for Best Director. Oh. And I think that's a shame because I think he did a great job That's directing. an actual snub. Yeah. His performance... Yeah totally rubbed me the wrong way for multiple reasons one okay. one is you know there this is the fourth time this movie has been made that in and of itself is a question to me whether or not we needed another version of this movie um but i think the previous versions like the most recent one was with barbara streisand and chris christopherson both legitimate okay. musicians who've spent their lives touring and know what the world of being a touring musician what that is Bradley mm-hmm. Cooper does not. And I just did not get the authenticity from him of somebody who's been out there, who's been doing it. And he was playing the character as every incarnation of this movie has been. The male character has been the one who's at the top and then is descending while the female is at the bottom ascending. And right. so, you know, from the beginning of this movie, he's in front of, a, you know, thousands and thousands of people playing this kind of generic black crows-esque sounding song and i just didn't buy it i just didn't think he was a guy who spent his life on the road drinking too hard and living too rough i just don't get it and he also yeah, i mean that was christopher's Christopher oh yeah yeah well and that to me is another thing to me it seemed like okay so sam elliott i don't want to give too much away about this movie 
it seemed like he was doing a Sam Elliott impression to me in a movie in which Sam Elliott is also in, <laughs> which seemed like a strange choice or like a Jeff Bridges kind of impression. But like vocally, yeah. he was really trying to sound like Sam Elliott. And um, I don't know. I just want to ask him, like, isn't it enough? You know what I mean? Like you're like the chiseled guy who gets to, you know, have girls 15, 20 years younger than you in movies. Like you're, you know, everybody thinks you're handsome and wonderful. Like, isn't it enough? You got to take this too. You got to do generic rock and roll songs and be the rock star now. Like, when is it enough, Bradley Cooper? Too much, you know? So Bradley Cooper aside, Lady Gaga was great in the movie. And, you know, there's a lot of good in A Star is Born. It was, I don't know. It was good. It was... I have complicated feelings about that one, but I think it's a, you know, I think people like that movie, and I think there's interesting stuff going on there. I'll be curious yeah. to hear what you think about it once you see it, but um, the last one is Vice, which that's another one I'd love to hear your thoughts on, because it is such... I want to see it so badly. Oh, it is such a uniquely made movie. There is one thing in particular that they do in this movie that I have never seen done in a movie. And I don't want to give it away. It's actually not a huge spoiler or anything. It's just, I think it's better if you experience it in the movie. So because you haven't seen it, but when you do, I want to talk about it. So let me know when you've seen Vice. I will see it soon. Like of the Oscar nominations, that one is probably at the top of my list. Well, and you know, when I, when I first heard that Christian Bale was playing, um, um, oh my gosh. Cheney. What's his name? Cheney. Dick Cheney. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Momentary brain fart. Um, I was very skeptical. Oh yeah. I think everybody and was. I was like, oh. And then I saw the trailer. And it was the sum of all parts. Like, I was so impressed with him the trailer, but also Sam Rockwell. I was like, oh man, this looks great. Yeah. The, uh, so before you kind of swayed me on Black Panther... Again, on yeah. on stupid Facebook, I put a thing up a week or two ago just saying what I would have voted for if I was allowed to vote. And I, at that time, said Vice would have got my vote for Best Picture. I don't think it has a chance of winning. I don't think there's any way it's going to win. Um, but to me, collectively, there was just something, you know, about each of these movies, with the exception of Black Panther and Black Klansman, um, that mm-hmm. kind of was a negative to me. And... Um, mm-hmm. Vice, to me, just with all the kind of amazing makeup prosthetics and the incredible performances, to me, I don't know, that just would have taken it. But I think you maybe hit the mark with the Black Panther commentary. I think you're right, ultimately. So, um, all right. So those are the best picture. The best directors, I think we can just run through. We did Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite, Spike Lee for Black Klansman, Adam McKay for Vice. And Powell Polakowski for Cold War. Um, I said when I put up my thing a week or so ago that I I think Alfonso Cuaron is going to win for Roma. I think it's pretty much a for sure thing that he will. Uh, My vote would go for Spike Lee for Black Klansman, personally. I Mm -hmm. think he did such a great job with that movie. He really did. It was so good. It was definitely hard to watch. I agree with you. Well, In the best possible way. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, for people who haven't seen it, but that one's been out for a while now. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can go find that one for sure. The last, I don't know, 20 minutes or so of that movie, when they kind of draw parallels to today's, you know, world, it's 
striking and it's that's what movies are meant to you know like that's why we make movies it really is and the other thing not to not to belabor this point that i'm also going to be making in the best actress category but you know the academy awards i think more so than the golden globes or sag awards or any of these other ones are known for kind of rewarding a career as much as yes. a, as specific movie or specific performance or whatever, and yeah. you know Spike Lee has been nominated before, um, but he's never won before. And you know Alfonso Cuarón has. Alfonso Cuarón won. I think only for Gravity. Um, Just for Gravity. I think okay. so, but you know he has won. It may make a difference. It may. I don't know. I think he's going to be pretty impossible to beat, to tell you the truth. I think that movie, I, I think he's one of the for sure ones. I I actually feel like most of this year is pretty predictable, actually. I think there's yeah. the best actor category could go a couple of different ways. but I And best actress is maybe a two-way race at this point. But the supporting actor and actress um, are pretty locked down. And I think... I think this one is too, personally. We'll find out. You never know. The Academy Awards also are notorious for throwing the occasional curveball, too. So you just never know. Yeah. But Who do you think is going to take supporting actor? Mahershala Ali? Yeah. 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 And the reason that I think he that will... That would be a second in a row, right? Uh, would it be second in a row? Or was it... It might have been before. It might have been the year before. Yeah, Moonlight was 2016. Um, The reason he he is great in Green Book, but it's the it's kind of the Jennifer Connelly thing where he's really a lead actor in a supporting category. You know, Um, so he's up against as long as we're talking about that category. So Mm Mahershala Ali for Green Book, Adam Driver for Black Klansman. Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice. All of those performances are really great. Um, Sam Rockwell is not as prominent in Vice as you might think. It's actually a pretty small role. Um, yeah. So outside of Mahershala Ali, my vote might have gone for Richard E. Grant uh, for Can You Ever Forgive Me? He's really great in that movie. Um, but I would have voted for Mahershala Ali for sure, just because it is a great performance. Do you think there's a possibility, an outside chance that... Um, the Academy goes for Sam Elliott because of his career? Maybe. I wouldn't mind it if they did. I definitely wouldn't yeah. mind it, especially as as you've said, Mahershala Ali has already won. Um, so I definitely would not be upset if that happened. I think there's yeah. a chance, but I wouldn't say it's likely. Um, yeah. I don't know if you have any snubs in these categories. For me, a snub in this particular category, the supporting actor, was Jonathan Price for The Wife. Um, I would have loved to yeah. seen him nominated. He, cause he was really great in that movie. I need to see it. It's, it's finally out for rent. Um, yeah. So I would like to... I would like to see it if we're, you know, if we're close, if nothing else. Yeah. Well, and um, Steve Carell for Beautiful Boy. Um, I, I, everybody was talking about Timothy Chalamet for Beautiful Boy um, as a snub, yeah. as a snub in this in this particular um, category, the best supporting actor. And I could have seen that too, but I thought Steve Carell, either that or Vice, he was he was pretty great in both. I would I would have loved to see him nominated for something. He had kind of a great year between. Vice, Beautiful Boy, and um, Welcome to Marwin, which that movie did not do well, but um, you know, no, he's he's had a really good year. Yeah. Yeah, he's very talented. Yeah. 
Um, Best Supporting Actress, the nominees were Amy Adams for Vice, Marina Del Tavira for Roma, Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone for The Favorite, and Rachel Vice for The Favorite. Uh, I think Regina... I think Emma and Rachel will cancel each other out. Yep. I think Regina King has this on lockdown. I think she's... Yeah. She's one that could have... Uh, you, you may as well Before just put her Amy name Adams. on. Yeah, she's how really many, great. I mean, I say that. Like, it's so rough to be nominated for an Oscar. But how many does she have at this point? I think that was her sixth, maybe. Let me look real quick. But I think that was number six for her, which I think, out, you know, with with Glenn Close, um, I think she was at seven. Um, let's see. Okay. Yes, six Academy Awards, most of which have been in supporting actress. She's only been nominated for Best Actress once for, the, for American Hustle, her... Five wow. other ones have all been in the supporting category, which I thought was kind of interesting, actually. Um, interesting. So, uh, and Amy Adams has had a, a pretty big year between Vice and Sharp Objects, that miniseries that she was in. Oh, right. Um, which she was very good in. Um, and she's won a couple things for that. But it's it's just, she's that person this year who um, she keeps losing to, or in one case, tying with... Uh, uh, Patricia Arquette um, for the yeah. miniseries and Regina King for for this too. So it's just that happens every once in a while, you know, where um, you know somebody will be nominated for a bunch of stuff for two different things, but doesn't manage to win. Um, I don't know. I still feel like Amy Adams is young and her time is still coming. And it's not that Regina yeah. King isn't, but I I, don't, I would agree. I don't think that Amy Adams is so amazing in this movie that it pushes Regina King, who is really amazing in this movie, um, yeah. enough. You know, the I, I, the six nominations doesn't make up for Regina King's incredible performance. I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Academy does have a tendency to like, you know, sort of award Oscars when they feel like it's just overdue rather right. than for the best performance. I don't, yeah, I agree with you. I'm not sure I see that happening in this instance because, because it's not number 14 and she is quite young. Right. She's definitely um, going to have more opportunities, you know? Yeah. Emily Blunt is coming up, man. She's going to, I wouldn't be surprised if she wins an Oscar before it's all said and done. Oh, I, I can't imagine that she wouldn't. I think she's a, she's a lock at some point or another. Um, yeah. And, you know, she is one of the perceived snubs from this year. Not for Mary Poppins, that would have been lead, but for um, A Quiet Place, which she was really great in. So good in. She was really great. Oh my gosh, she was good. She just won. You know, the Academy just doesn't, I know, for SAG. For SAG, yeah. But the Academy just does not recognize horror films or comedies. Right. I think it's a real problem. I think they used to. They, yeah. This is a fairly new trend. And I, you know, I appreciate that Black Panther has been nominated that there was such push for that um, like at one point they nominated I think Renee Zellweger for Bridget Jones right? Oh, yep yep. Mm-hmm. and um, oh, that horrible human being what's his name <laughs> Johnny Depp oh yeah they nominated Johnny Depp for I think Pirates I think you're right. The first one they did. Well, they they the first one. they nominated uh, Melissa McCarthy for Bridesmaids back in the day um, yeah, for supporting well, there actress. Yeah, moments when right. they really like figure it out. <laughs> right. Um, but it almost feels like just courtesy nod. I'm never gonna win. Right. 
Right. Yeah, the Marissa Tomei for My Cousin Vinny is a real outside, you know. Right. And it's always in supporting actor or actress that they win for comedy yeah. or something like that. It's never yeah. lead. Um, it's always a drama no. for lead. But um, for me, as I was saying, not to sound like a broken record, but Nicole Kidman should have been nominated for sure in this category for Boy Erased. I thought she was so, so good in this movie. She's another one who, you know, I got to say, I, I'm somebody who's always been a big Nicole Kidman fan, but man alive, what a year she has had between um, that movie. She was in uh, Aquaman. She was in, she's in the new movie. I can't remember what it's called with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston. Um, I can't, oh, right. Whatever that one is. And, uh, yeah, mo- I can't remember the name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and a movie called Destroyer, which looks absolutely incredible. Um, so good. I mean, you know, she's somebody, and, and not to mention Big Little Lies is kind of, you know, like, she, out there, you know, yeah. yeah, she's just, she's working so consistently and she's somebody who really like takes risks and does stuff. Um, I don't know. It seems like she's always pushing the envelope in, in one way or another. And I really appreciate that about her. I feel like she doesn't repeat herself and she just doesn't, but she also is in like, you know, anywhere from three to six movies in a year and isn't afraid to do TV too. You know, like she's in a lot of stuff, but unlike somebody like Nicolas Cage, who's also in, you know, a bunch of movies a year that go straight to DVT, um, you know, like her movies are always really, I don't know. Like she's just so strong. She's so good. I, I she's feel so like good. she's she's suffering a little bit from the kind of unexplained Anne Hathaway thing. You know, like everybody's almost like sick of her or something. I don't know what it is. I feel like people aren't excited about Nicole Kibben, and I don't know what that's about. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but no, you know what I think it is. I think um, I think they take. I think there's an element of taking her for granted as an actor. Sure. Because I, you know, she doesn't, she's not in the media a lot. Like, she doesn't have any personal drama. She's not, so what you show up for is her work, and she's just consistently great. Yeah. And she picks, she's not starring in her own vehicles. She's in really strong ensembles, or she's taking, like, fun roles like Aquaman, or she's doing these really intense character roles. Right. And I really think making an effort into transforming herself. Oh. I just think, I think she's just getting overlooked as a, because she's a serious working actor. Yeah. No, she's a I'm character actor. Yeah. Well, that's what it she's is. She's a character actor in a sort of lead actor's body. Right. I, that sounds ridiculous. There should be a difference. No, I, I actually think that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. It's almost like she's making a choice. And I do think it's a choice and not like she's just taking the only work she can get. I think she's still getting a ton of work. But she's right. choosing to take the interesting roles, even if it's a supporting role in Boy Erased instead of the top of, you know, the above the title right. name thing. She's interested right. in the interesting work. And I... I don't know. There aren't that many actors anymore who are doing that. And I really think she's one of the ones who is just all about, let me find the good work and do it. And I, for one, really appreciate that about her. I think she's really great. So I would have loved to see her nominated because she was really the heart of Boy Erased. Um, As as 
Okay, let's do Best Actor. So Best Actor uh, nominees are Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper uh, for A Star is Born, (laughs) Uh, Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. I don't know. This is an interesting one. This is one of the few where I could go a couple of different ways. What do you think? Haven't seen any of them. A Christian Bale is overdue. I think... I think there's enough, just <laughs> putting it lightly, but enough irritation with the current administration that it's possible right. to give it to Christian Bale. But I, I, uh, I don't know. Um, I've heard good things about Viggo Mortensen, but there was also so much. There was controversy around Green Book. So, right. Well, I don't he, know. He's, what do you think? Um, well, Christian Bale, um, I agree that he's overdue, although he did win for Supporting Actor in 2010 for The Fighter. Oh, you're right. He did. So um, it is overdue in the sense that it's been a while. I don't know. For me, he would get my vote. He would get my vote because I think he had the yeah. most transformative um, and ultimately the the best performance, which is what the category is. Um, Bradley Cooper is an easy no for me. Uh, Willem Dafoe is great. I would. I, I don't think he has a snowball's chance in hell to win, but I think uh, I wouldn't be upset if he did. You know, that would be the upset of the right. year if he did. Um, right. I think Rami Malek is likely to win, and I will not be upset if he does. Um, he was. He was really great um, as Freddie Mercury, um, and it's not his fault that you know the movie took so many creative licenses. It's not his fault. Uh, by any stretch. His performance is just great. Um, Viggo Mortensen is, Viggo Mortensen is to me the overdue one in the category, although the movie to me is kind of, it would be, I don't know, he plays the guy who's not a bigot, you know, that whole thing, but right in the like, he's also insensitive and kind of a douchebag anyway kind of way, and um mm-hmm. So the controversy for anybody who hasn't really been following, it's similar to Bohemian Rhapsody in that there are a lot of historical inaccuracies. It's a true story. And they didn't get the family's permission, correct? Right. Something like that. Yeah. And and probably most problematic is in an interview, Viggo Mortensen said the N-word. And he was was saying it in a way where he was trying to he he said the word when he shouldn't have said the word, but what he was trying to say was actually not the worst thing in the world. He was actually trying to say something that uh, if he just hadn't said the word would have been fine. Um, but oh God! If but he said the word and he shouldn't have said the word, and so there's some yep. of that. Um, so I don't know. Viggo Mortensen is overdue. I think he's a great actor, but maybe not for this movie. I guess is what it comes down to. Um, yeah. So for me, I think it's a two-way race between Christian Bale and Rami Malek. I'd vote for Christian Bale, but either way, I think it'll be fine. Um, I don't know. And uh, the last category uh, that we'll talk about today is Best Actress. Yalitza Aparicio for Roma, Glenn Close for The Wife, Olivia Colman for The Favorite, Lady Gaga for A Star is Born, and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? What do you think? Um, my guess is it's going to go to Glenn Close because she's long overdue. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, the Academy acknowledges that kind of stuff. I, I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen any of their performances, but Olivia Pullman. I was so blown away by her, though. I would personally give it to her, but that's out of context, so I can't say for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, um, I'm going to vote for Glenn Close. I think it's actually, I, as you know, I mean, I went to New York last year just to see Glenn Close in a, in a show. Yes. I, I love Glenn Close. Um, did you see Sunset Boulevard? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I guess actually that was two years ago now, but, um, the, the thing is this to me is the toughest category because I think all five are really, really good, really good. Um, right. And I think there's a couple others. I think Emily Blunt could have been nominated. I also think this is not one that got a lot of traction, but I think Julia Roberts could have been nominated for a movie called Ben is Back. She was really good, really oh. good in that movie. So anyway, I'm a I'm a giant Glenn Close fan, and she was so good in The Wife, but I don't know. It's such a different role for her. It's not a showy role at all. It's uh, There's like no scenery chewing. There's none of that. And then you compare that to, you know, Lady Gaga, who's, you know, kind of like really letting it fly in A Star is Born. And I don't know. It's it's hard to compare different performances, as, as we've talked about before. It's, it's almost yeah. impossible. I would love to see Glenn Close win. And I feel like, you know, I feel like it's kind of a two-way race between the two of them. They've been winning, you know, most of the awards between the two of them. Glenn Close has won pretty much everything. They did tie at, I think, the Critics' Choice Awards. But um, I think Glenn Close will win. I, I think the kind of general thought is, you know, Lady Gaga is going to win for the song. So, um, you know, combine that with Glenn Close is so overdue. I don't know. It just feels like Glenn Close's year, but I don't know. It, I, I feel like this is the toughest category for sure. Cause I think top to bottom, all five are just really amazing this year. Yeah. Yeah. Melissa McCarthy too. She's so good in that movie. And can you ever forgive me? She's so good. All five she's of them. Fantastic. Yeah. She's really, yeah. I need to see all of them. Yeah. I'm probably going to do this afternoon. I'm going to Oscar now. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Oscars are coming up February 24th. There's still no host, which is uh, really crazy. something. Uh, that's for another day. I'm glad Kevin Hart's not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to feel about all of it. Well, I do know how to feel about that. I think it is good that he's not doing it, but... Um, yeah, it's just a shame the way things have gone down. I think his stance was really strange. His refusal to apologize and kind of like double down on it seemed really like a strange choice to me. Yeah, he's done that before on other stuff. Um, he, yeah, he just he's just an interesting, interesting person. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, I guess we'll kind of see. Maybe we'll do a, an Oscars recap at our next episode. Um, yeah, definitely. So, uh, real quick, you want to do our, our other segments here? Uh, let's. You sure. had a great idea. So, we don't have a six degrees person um, for for this week, but we we're going to start again next time. So, who was your suggestion, Meryl? Yeah, we decided to do Regina King. She kind of she came up because of her Oscar nomination. I think she's a lock in, and she's just a really strong, amazing actress. And uh, so, we're going to six degrees her for Meryl Streep. Yeah. All right, what about the uh, movies we wish Meryl was in? Is there a performance or a movie that you wish Meryl had been in? We didn't think of this ahead of time at all. No. Oh. I know, off the top of your head, it's a real 
curveball. I feel like I've seen so little lately that I can't even think of it. <laughs> I'm like, what's a movie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you? I'll go with a really controversial choice, actually, because, oh man, I can almost, I it's almost so hard to even make myself say this. Uh, <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. I, 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 just because you brought it up, you know, she was so... Um, she was in contention for that role. Do you know that? No, I did not. So the the history of Sunset Boulevard, the musical we're talking about, uh, right. it premiered in London in like 92 or 93. And Patti LuPone. With Patti. With yeah. Patti LuPone. And she was unceremoniously fired uh, from it after pretty disastrous reviews. If you listen to her autobiography she has a lot of issues with how things went down um oh yeah glenn close was rumored to be doing the american version before she had been fired and she was kind of taking that um to heart meryl streep also <laughs> allegedly in the book i guess i shouldn't say she was up for the role because this is all from patty lapone who maybe maybe wasn't entirely reliable i you know she was so heavily involved it's hard to say but from the right. sounds of it, she was really courting that role. Um, Patti LuPone was also upset because Barbara Streisand recorded some of the songs for a record that she put out um, before the mu- before the musical had come out. You know, she got Andrew Lloyd Webber to give her some of the songs before. Basically, Patti LuPone wasn't really allowed to premiere it because Streisand had sung some of these songs before. So, I don't know. There was a rumor that Meryl Streep was up for the role. Um of Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard that Glenn Close. And again, it's one of my favorite performances in history. I mean, I went to New York specifically to see it. That's how much that performance and role meant. But it would have also been interesting to see Meryl Streep do it. Um, So now that they're finally, it looks like maybe making the movie, um, I'm glad it's going to be Glenn Close playing it. But it would be great to see multiple versions of the same movie if that's a thing, you know? I guess that's kind of the whole point of this segment, you know? Oh, I'm going to sound like an ageist asshole, but I feel like Glenn Close is just a little bit too old to play the part. Right now? Yeah, she probably yeah. is. Um, it, I, uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Not stage. Right. Because, but in films, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a really hard, first of all, our culture, and this maybe is not a defense, but our our, our culture is sort of inappropriately accustomed to seeing um men with younger women right and so when you swap that dynamic and have an older woman with a younger man you you kind of have to especially in film have to walk that fine line of still making them compatible i mean it sucks and not approving of this whatsoever but it's gonna be i guess i'm interested to see who they cast in the joe role I, I'm with you. I, I know what you're saying, and I think it's it's kind of I I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. Re- in I, I actually I I yeah, feel like it's I'm a super touchy subject. Yeah, I feel like there are ways to do it because I think in the movie it is sort of they they make jokes about the age, but they never really land on a specific age. And I feel like there's ways to no. there are ways to play with the timeline. Um, you know, like she was. She was a character, she was an actress who um, was kind of in that transition between silent films and she could have kept her career going um, when when talkies came about, except she was unwilling to do that. Um, but it 
sort of depends on when you set the current movie. You know what I mean? Like you can't yeah. set the movie in 2019 because then the actress is over a hundred years old, basically. But um, you know, it sort of depends upon when you're setting the storyline and you're right, how old Joe is. So I think the problem is, you know, in the nineties, Glenn Close was in her early 50s or maybe just approaching 50. So the actor that they had was probably 30 or so, 20 years younger, which at that time was not a big deal. Now that she's 70, um, if you stick with a guy who's in his 30s, it's not going to work. If you have a Joe who's who's also maybe just a little bit past his prime, that might be more interesting, actually. Um, so I don't know. I think there's a way to do it. I think you're just going to have to adjust everybody's timeline um, and, and worry yeah. worry about setting the current <laughs> time of the, of the musical appropriately, which I guess would be, I don't know, the 70s or 80s, maybe? I don't know when it should be set, but um, maybe even earlier, maybe yeah. late 60s. Yeah. I don't know. Say you age Joe up, cool. That totally works. Um, but then, what do you do about the? Uh, uh, what's, is it Nancy? Oh yeah. Uh, no, I know who you're yep. saying. Um, yeah, I forget what her There's name sort is. Sort of other female yep. protagonist in the story. Right. Um, yeah, what do you do with her? Right. Right. Because that character in particular has. Um, she's the ingenue. Sort of an innocent. She's yep. the ingenue. She's got an innocent naivete to her. So if you, I don't think you can age her up much. You're going to have a problem. Right. Betty so, Schaefer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Betty, thank you. So are we going to age Joe up and then he's like almost a husband having a relationship with a younger woman and then you have the same stereotype we've been reinforcing in every single movie known man. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> right? a good so point. Some weird, yeah. Well, and the other thing, not to belabor this too much, but the other thing that I think is really true of Sunset Boulevard is in most uh, versions, Joe doesn't really have at any real point authentic feelings for Norma anyway. You know what I mean? Like he's not really oh, romantically right. interested in her. He finds, he he appreciates the convenience that she uh, right. bestows upon him at a time in which he needs that. And at a certain point, just finds her to be quirky, and I think he's a little bit afraid of her more so than anything else. Yeah, feels very bad for her. Right. So it's not so much gross in that same way, the, like, you know, 70-year-old dating a 30-year-old. It's the, like, 30-year-old who feels really sorry for the 70-year-old and doesn't know what to do and is kind of trapped. So I I don't know. It is a little bit different, I think, story-wise, too. But um, anyway, I hope they make the movie just... So Glenn gets to play that role because God knows she's been trying to make it happen for 30 years now. Yeah. So, um, and she's had success with that before. You know, Albert Nobbs, she she played that on stage in the early 80s and made a movie out of it in 2011 or something. You know, it's not insane to yeah. 20 years later return to the same role. So I hope it happens. Um, she's phenomenal. Yeah. I, I think her um, speech at the Golden Globes uh, probably helped too. You know, like that was a I really. I not see it. Oh, you should you should look it up. You can find it on YouTube, okay. and it was it was pretty. Okay. She got she got a mid speech standing ovation. We'll put it that way. That, oh wow! Yeah, that doesn't happen all that often. No, it does not. So, um, that me. yeah. 
So uh, she got the original standing ovation when she won, and then another one halfway through. So it was it was something. But um, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's a lock in for the Oscar. Uh, yeah, I put her at about ninety percent. I I think she's yeah. I think she's in there. I think it's not impossible. I think the Academy also loves a young singing ingenue. Like think of like Jennifer Hudson. Think you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's if there's musical involved. I don't know. That's the only yeah, thing. Hathaway. Yep. Yeah. When there's a musical, if you can, especially if you die singing, man, like, holy cow, <laughs> that's, right. that's that's the way, which I shouldn't say that because that is not what Lady Lady Gaga does not die singing. But, you know, you, you get what I'm saying. Um, yes, I do. So anyway, all right, we better wrap this up. This is a long episode here. but uh, I know, right, but it's been so long. Our listeners are happy we're talking, right? I know. Well, and I was so looking forward to this one, so... Uh, what are we doing next time, Meryl? We're doing Silkwood. Woo, woo, woo. We've been, I think we've been saying that for a while now. I was really, just going to say, this is probably the fourth episode in a row where we've said next time we're doing <laughs> Silkwood. <laughs> but next time we're doing Silkwood, everybody. Um, <laughs> JK! <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way things go. So uh, we look forward yeah. to being back. We'll talk to you all again soon. And uh, rate, review, and subscribe to us if you can. We love that. Feel free to email us at MerylStreetPodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. That's all.